Welcome to Podcast on Technation. This is a series of podcasts focused specifically on the biomedical and HTM industry. New episodes are added monthly. Listening to each episode is eligible for one continuing education credit from the ACI. At the conclusion of this episode, you will be able to access a link that will take you to a quick survey. You'll be able to download your certificate once you submit the survey. Before we begin today's podcast, I would like to invite you to save the dates for our upcoming MD Expo. We will be in Las Vegas on November 1st and 2nd. Please visit mdexposhow.com for details, registration, and our steps to a safe and clean meeting environment. Podcast by Tech Nation would like to thank our sponsor, Medigate. Medigate is the clinical device data platform for healthcare. Medigate allows you to see, secure, and manage all of the devices connected to your network and turn the associated data into a powerful resource for asset management and operational efficiency. It means the end of any compromise between security and usability. It allows you to connect with confidence. For more information, please visit Medigate.io. Hey, it's so good to be here on this uh, podcast episode. I'm grateful for all the folks at Tech Nation and for the support and for all of the hard work that uh, women and men that work with medical devices across all of the healthcare delivery organizations um, that they do on a day-to-day basis to keep our, our hospitals up and running. So grateful to be here. In this episode, we are joined by Samuel Hill, Director of Product Marketing for Medigate. Prior to working in technology, Samuel spent seven years as an emergency room tech for two different health systems and lived through an EHR transition twice. All right, Samuel, I think we're just going to go through and ask a few questions today. I have some that we're going to start with. The first one is, there have been a lot of demands placed on our health systems these past years due to the pandemic. When healthcare organizations take a moment to evaluate everything they've done and everything they need to do, what do you think is top of mind? Well, yeah, that's a really kind of a loaded question. I mean, I think from my perspective, the way I've seen it is that you know the pandemic revealed things that were already present within healthcare systems. And so a lot of the stressors and issues that have um, been in some ways fairly well addressed in some ways not, but they were all fairly present there before the pandemic, and we just got a real front row seat uh, as all of our healthcare agencies worked so hard to keep our community safe and up and running and care for patients and all of the things that they did so just extraordinarily. Uh, but the, realistically, the demands that were there before were around things like devices, things like um, expanding attack surfaces and, and threat vectors and all of the different stuff that have just been really top of mind for healthcare for a long time. And the t- pandemic just exacerbated a lot of that. And so how do we manage those risks? How do we manage these devices? How do we understand what's happening with them and what they should be doing and, and really understand how should our organization treat these devices and, and make sure they're efficiently operating and all of the different stuff. Uh, you know, When we start looking around to see what answers we have for those questions, I think that's where we need to take into account what tools are we using? How are we gathering data? What metrics are we looking to to guide our decision making? And how can we improve these? And I think the question is really powerful because it talks about 
when we take a moment to stop and reflect and think about well that we have accomplished and then what's still left to be to be accomplished you know that really some some things come really sharply to my mind one is that we have accomplished an incredible amount you know the the old adage within healthcare it's just so slow to change and so hard to change and as we saw during the pandemic that wasn't that wasn't able to be true anymore we we had to change rapidly we had to adjust you know so many people worked so many long hours to just get mobile clinics up and running get testing sites get just different modes of care and and turn medical surgical units into icu units and just all this work had to happen and it had to happen quickly and so we made a lot of changes very quickly so i think it's really worth taking a step to celebrate all of the things that were accomplished within healthcare uh, but then once we've done we've, we're done celebrating that we can start looking towards the future of saying now we've we've opened up and allowed for different ways of caring for patients different modalities different methodologies you know more patients today are using telehealth and telemedicine than ever were using it before i think it's like a a 10 or a 20x increase over you know previous pre-pandemic levels it's significant and so how do we begin to think about what's next what are we doing with these devices these ways of connecting and ways of delivering care uh, that are now commonplace and so the question needs to become come down to uh, before you can make decisions it's one thing to stop and then and strategize and begin thinking about a problem or how you're going to solve it but the next step needs to be what data do i need to inform the decision making process and i think that's where a lot of biomed and htm teams they need to start thinking about what data do i need how can i best evaluate the platforms that i'm using the the tools that we have the devices that we have and understanding the processes and systems all of that can be informed by data and should be informed by data so that we can make better decisions as we go forward so that's kind of what i, I think about when i look back on the pandemic and, and where we've been and kind of where where we're going it certainly has taught us a lot hasn't it yeah i mean if you <laughs> asked healthcare people you know before the pandemic what was bothering them or stressing them out i think they would have said a lot of similar things to today but now everybody knows and understands it. And I think that's really kind of a net positive. If we, if we can take a positive from a global pandemic, I think that might be one of them is that we really do see how hard our healthcare agencies work and, and sometimes how constrained and limited they are in, in the help that they do actually need to provide the benefit to our whole overall community. Absolutely. All right, in your opinion, what is one of the biggest roadblocks preventing health systems from fully realizing the value of connected medicine? I have to pick one. Though the roadblocks obviously are, are many here. Like there's a lot of things that are, uh, that prevent realizing the full value. And I honestly, I don't know if we can even, you know, predict the full value of connected medicine. There's so much that can happen in the future that are uh, because of connected medicine. You know, gone are the days when it was just a, a nurse would read a doctor's note in a, in a patient chart and then execute that order and have to, you know, call down to the pharmacy, probably walk down to the pharmacy and pick up a special compound. And gone are those days. Everything is happening now in this highly connected digital format and things are moving as fast as possible. So I would say that actually um, technology is one of the biggest roadblocks <clears throat> preventing a health system from fully realizing the value of connected medicine. And the reason I say that is, is technology is changing so fast 
sometimes it's hard to keep up with the technology when you're a user or when the systems aren't able to support the new technology or when there's um, different ways of doing things uh, that might be best practice or have remained best practice for a long time but haven't been changed or updated based off of technology you know again an example would be we have we, you know, we, we try and keep a record of all of the devices that are inside of our, our, our healthcare system. And obviously there's many types of devices. There's just, you know, you run the gamut of device types. We try and keep a record of them, but it's just difficult to manage and maintain and to understand where are they, what are they actually doing, how are they communicating, what, what you know, techniques are they deploying? A good question would be, hey, this is an infusion pump. Do we actually know if that infusion pump has the latest pharmacy guide or the latest, you know, compound guide that comes from our pharmacy so they can actually deliver the right dosages of medicine within the the rules or the scope of care that would uh, would be delivered for best practice? Those are things that that's really hard to know. We we have technology that can deliver expert care, but knowing what it is and what it's doing is something that users have a hard time with, uh, clinical users especially, but also biomedical users where they sit there and say. I want to know that my devices are within the scope of what they need to be, that they're doing what we've asked these devices to do, and also that they're where they need to be. And you know, we've done the right level of service and maintenance on them and that they're within compliance and that they're not vulnerable to security exploits or different risk factors. And we so I would say technology is a roadblock because of the severe gap between our users, the knowledge base of our users and what's possible with technology. We gotta start closing that gap. And we gotta start bringing uh, all of these pieces together for the benefit of our overall health system. I think that makes a lot of sense. Samuel, our next question is, what kind of information are health systems missing when they are making decisions? Yeah, I guess I shared a little bit earlier about the, the fact that we need data. We, we just really need better, more concise and more precise data to begin making decisions. And so as, you know, again, hopefully at the time of this recording, I hope that our, our heads are coming up from this global pandemic. We're starting to see the backside of some of these things and, and I hope we don't ever see the front side of it again, right? But at the instant time, so now we have perhaps a little bit more breathing room to start looking around to make strategic decisions. And once we start deciding on a strategic direction, we need to start gathering the data to make informed decisions that are going to overall impact and help our health systems. And so I think of things like when we're coming down to you know, clinical devices, we're talking specifically about that. I want to know exactly what devices are connected to my network. And I want to know at all times with a, with a high confidence interval that these devices are connected to my network. Not that I think they are or that they're in my database that says they're somewhere in my health system, but when and where are they connecting to my network? And if they're connecting to my network, I want to know how are they connecting? Are they connecting um, in approved ways or are they talking to um, locations and whether it's a server or whether it's an external source or whatever that is, are these devices actually communicating within the policies that my organization has set that we have set for them? You know, obviously, so a good example of this was Target. They got a very famous breach of their system, you know, probably 10 years ago now. It's kind of a famous example. The route in for this breach was actually one of the HVAC control units. So 
I want to know if my HVAC control units are talking to a credit card server or asking for, you know, patient health information. Because if that's the case, we 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 know something's going on. So better data allows us to make better decisions for the most part. And we need to start gathering these things. So when it comes to a clinical device program, we need to understand the device attributes. We want to understand the make and the model, the operating system, the application versions, what firmware is it on? Is this is this device been patched with the latest manufacturer's patches or is there not a patch available for a known vulnerability for this device and if so what security steps should we take based off of the network policies you know segmentation policies rules about that how do we take the data about a specific device and again very granular fine comb details about this device more than just make and model we got to get down into the the real nuts and bolts of it and then the second piece i'd want to know is how were those devices distributed across of my hospital system i mean we think about the thousands of infusion pumps that are spread out all over the place and, and a little bit about my background actually I, I spent seven years as an emergency room technician and so as a part of that job my role included making sure all of the devices that are doctors and nurses and other care staff needed, whatever they would need to do the job for the patient that was required, it was my job to either have it in the room for them or go find it if it wasn't there. And a common thing was you would take a patient from the emergency department and they would be admitted to a hospital floor. And so you'd push that patient on their hospital, their emergency room bed, and you would take along the infusion pump that's delivering whatever medicine was within the physician order. And when you got to the hospital bed on the on the you know nursing unit on the floor whether it's medical surgical or ICU or one of the other you know specialized units you would take the patient transfer them across and then you would just take the running IV pump and also put that on their bed and leave it there so that way you're not you know stopping the flow of medicine for whatever the doctor was asking to be delivered now what would happen and then is you you if you did your job right you would grab another IV pump that was not being used and return with that back to the emergency department you know, therefore not removing a device and bringing your unit uh, down as far as the number of devices go. But you can imagine just the the sheer volume of those interactions and how easy it is for that to not happen the right way. And you're relying on, you know, people making judgment calls and decisions. And, you know, what if you transfer that patient in the room and there's no other IV pump for you to take easily? And so there's just a lot of factors that go into that. And a lot of times, uh, we would run out of infusion pumps in the emergency department. And a part of my job, again, was to make sure we had what we needed to do the job for the patients that came in. So I would have to go to other units and I'll use the word borrow, but I'm putting kind of air quotes around the word borrow. It wasn't really borrowing as much as it was just flat out stealing. They had IV pumps. We didn't. We needed them. So I just went there and took them. And I'm just going to say that's not the best way to distribute infusion pumps across the hospital. I think all of us can agree with that. So I'd want to start knowing as far as data goes, I want to know where these devices are located and where are they? And, and honestly, and then comparing that to where should they be located? Uh, a common thing, again, is to talk within the distribution teams of the PAR leveling decisions that are made on a unit by unit basis. Uh, you know, a nursing unit will say, we need to have, you know, 100 IV pumps at any time on site of our floor. And distribution says, well, I can only give you 50. And that's a negotiation, but we can apply data to better understand how devices are being used across the entire hospital and kind of know where they are based off of um, some the characteristics and things that we can know about them. 
So having data around location would also be a real powerful thing to help us make better decisions. And ultimately that will also help our frontline staff in a lot of ways because they're gonna have a higher degree of confidence knowing when I need a device, a device will be there for me to use. I'm not gonna have to go uh, ask somebody else for one. Or I'm not gonna have to go down to central supply or up to medical surgical or wherever I need to go to get a device. I know that it will be there and which frees up their mental capacity to focus on really the more important things, which are their patients, the work their patients need and helping them get back to a healthy, normal life. Other data I'd wanna know if I'm thinking about the you know, data that we'd like to make, use to make better decisions, is how often are devices being utilized? I think the statistic that uh, we use here at Medigate is on average, and this is something we've, we've researched and looked out in the industry and pulled this from multiple sources, is that on average, a medical device is used around 42% of the time. So if it has you know, 24 hours in a day, only 42% of that available time is actually being, it's being used for its intended purpose. The other majority of the time, it's sitting idle and not being used. Additionally, most healthcare delivery organizations are oversubscribed on their devices based off of their actual need. They're oversubscribed by about 25%. What that means practically is that your organization probably owns 25% more IV pumps than you actually need to own. And every year, most healthcare organizations will spend and replace about 10% of their devices, just because you know, sometimes they do actually get lost. Sometimes something does happen to them. There is a you know, catastrophic mechanical failure, whatever it is, they end up spending and replacing about 10% of their fleet every single year. So we have this utilization problem that we don't have great data to really understand and see. And so if we could look at how the devices are being used and see, you know what, yeah, this specific class of devices has a utilization rate in the, in the low 40% range. Well, instead of buying more devices and spending that money, perhaps we can then say, let's save that money and actually go into making sure those devices are more available and more used across the health system, which then you know helps us to do other things and, and solve other challenges and things like that. So the, the data around the utilization would also be a piece I'd say we should really bring to the table when, um, when making some decisions. So why do you think it's been so difficult to get the information health systems to, sorry, to get the information health systems need to optimize and protect their connected devices? Well, I think it is diff. I think that's the key word. It is difficult. It's hard work. And I don't know that the tools that are necessary have really existed. And so, you know, that's where it's really no fault of healthcare delivery organizations. They they've been working hard at this challenge and they've been they have been solving these problems the best way that they know how with the tools that have been at their disposal. You know, like with anything, I think, you know, we look at and say, you know, hey, how did we do that before something came along that revolutionized how we do that thing today. And how, you know, it's just that, I think it's that kind of iterative issue is that yes, it has been hard, uh, but it's because the tools have been lacking. And so really what we're looking at now is we, we have to have tools that can understand um, not only the medical devices and the understanding of what these devices are intended to do, so the clinical context, right? We wanna know that we can see that this is a radiological device and we can see that it is um, a, an MRI machine, 
Um, but also understanding when is that MRI machine in use and actually transmitting data, right? understanding, so the clinical context of we, we can see that this is a, a device and what it's doing. But then also we have to add this cybersecurity with a healthcare focus to this context as well. So the information really hasn't been well packaged for a lot of healthcare organizations, which is why I think it's been difficult. And so, you know, yeah, it's now this problem. I think it's a well-identified, well-studied problem. I don't think anybody, I'm not trying to convince anybody of that because I think we all do understand the difficulty and then the, the problem that has arisen from our difficulty is that medical devices are inherently insecure, they're hard to manage, and they can present a significant risk to the security posture of our healthcare organization overall, and we have to do something about it. But I think, you know, until recently, there haven't been the level of tools and the level of, of expertise that's been required for HDOs to actually tackle and start solving this problem. You know, so yeah, the, the tools might be there as well now. So I, that's what I think we're seeing. We're seeing these tools come to bear and a lot of organizations are starting to really take this seriously and evaluate what's out there and then begin solving the problems. Uh, but then you have to also solve the skills that are needed inside of a healthcare delivery organization. You know, honestly, what we're seeing nowadays is a lot of customers are actually um, hiring or creating roles for people on their team that are combining both the clinical engineering and biomedical focus of, you know, understanding devices, knowing what they are, knowing they're, maybe they're certified, you know, biomedical engineering technicians. They have, you know, specialized training. Um, and taking that expertise and then also creating a role that combines that with a cybersecurity focus where they, they also apply best practice cybersecurity um, modeling and information and all of these different pieces so that they can um, combine the best of both worlds and then start using the tools that now exist to solve some of these challenges. But you're absolutely right. It has been hard. Um, it hasn't gotten easier. I just think our tools and our focus are starting to get better. How can health systems assess what it is that they need? Yeah, I think that's going to be such a different answer for every single organization. And it really does come down to um, very customizable ways of gathering data. And I would say that's the first place we have to start. We, we got to get data. And so there is a lot of good tools that are out there that can be effective to help generate the, the level of information needed by healthcare organizations. Uh, but the key is to to start picking some of the the modalities that you want to use to gather data and then execute on it you know we've all seen that there's a lot of great information that's out there and we've all seen that there's ways to gather this information but it's it's hard you you can't pick a little bit from one and just a little bit from another and, and just a, a little bit from a third we, we need to kind of pick how we're going to do this and then start sticking with it and so uh, one of the ways that uh, we have found to be really successful with our customers is to use what we're calling a real-time healthcare convergence assessment, where we actually can bring in and have you know, people come into your organization that will help you evaluate against a common framework. You know, we, we look at things like the NIST framework. Um, Gartner published a, a useful real-time health system framework as well to help understand where are you actually and then where can you go based off of your specific organization? Because you know everybody is going to have their own level of risk and, and you know understanding their comfort level with risk. And 
and what are we okay with in our organization based off of you know these mitigating factors and what are we not okay with based off of these other risk assessments and so the personalization of that assessment has to occur there's not a single generic one-size-fits-all way of solving that problem and so i would say that the best thing you can do is to start asking your partners asking those that you trust asking peer organizations how they went about it and then gleaning the real kernels of truth that you can use for your own organization but the key that's going to be most effective i think is you have to kind of pick what you're going to do and then stick with it it's one thing to say oh yeah we're going to do an assessment and that looks great on a slide and maybe your management says, yeah, wonderful, we're gonna do an assessment. But you actually have to pick the assessment that you're gonna do and then execute the assessment, report back on the findings and then implement any changes that are, are discovered during the assessment process and then actually do the hard work on the back end. So um, I would say doing the things that we're already good at, you know, looking around the industry, trusted partners, peer organizations, but then once you've done that work, pick something, execute it, and then do what that assessment recommends that you do. It always comes back to hard work, doesn't it? Unfortunately, I mean, I've been <laughs> trying to figure this out any other way. I wish that, you know, if there was another way we could sort figure that out, but you're right. There is really no substitute for actually digging in to do some of the harder work processes. You know, I know of, I know of one, I was, I was talking to one organization and they had created a role to again, merge the biomedicine and cybersecurity environments, and they created this role for this specific person, and it was, was a fantastic role for him. Uh, and his leadership gave him 100% focus on solving these challenges, which I think was really crucial. So he was able to actually go look at the entirety of the market, ask the right questions, and come up with about as thorough of an evaluation of what their organization needed because this person wasn't being pulled, you know, for that cross-functional team or or this urgent issue. And they, they were allowed to dedicate 100% of their time. And so that's what I mean. That, that's the level of hard work that we're talking about. It might just be as hard as we're going to allow this person the three months that they need to do the thorough work of evaluating and understanding and recommending. All right. Our next question is, what can health systems do to fill the gaps they find? and establish a common device data foundation. Yeah, as we know, I mean, it's unfortunately a running joke that the, the CMMS is, um, it's our data source, but it may not be the most reliable data source. And it's obviously the, the starting point. And I think the, the goal would be that we turn that data source, the, the CMMS, if you will, into a as dynamic a record of truth as we possibly can. We need to feed the CMMS because it's that's where our, our data needs to live in a lot of ways. And we need to make sure that that is as complete and accurate and up to date as we possibly can uh, in as close to real time as we possibly can. And so, yeah, we're going to discover gaps. You know, like uh, one of our customers, they, they discovered that they had 3000 devices that had not connected to their network in six months. Now, these devices were not marked as lost or missing. They were just you know, out there in the fleet somewhere in their hospital, but they had not connected to the network in six months. So there's a gap and we need to start giving the CMMS better data so that it can identify these gaps and can become the real-time source of truth, if you will. And we can then do better workflows based off of that data. So obviously we want to go find 
those devices that have not connected for six months. We want to make sure that their preventative maintenance records are up to date and accurate, that they have you know, whatever patches or, or whatever rules that need to be applied to them. And then we want to release them back out for clinical use. Um, and so those are steps that you can take. And again, it, it all comes down to feeding the right data at a, at a granular level into the data platforms that are designed to be that real-time system of record. And we, we need to, we, that, that would be the place that I would suggest that we start. All right, Samuel, can you provide some examples of how a single source of truth can empower the health system? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great examples that we've been hearing from our customers as they've come down um, a bit of this journey. You know, there's one, one customer who came to us and they reported how they started looking at the data around um, device utilization. And, and they discovered that one of their radiological devices was not being used as effectively as they possibly could. And in fact, the, the solution that they had come up with to, to solve the problem. So the problem was they had a lot of patients who needed this radiologic resource. I think it was like a, a C-arm or, or, or CAT scan or something like that. They needed the resource, but they, they couldn't get them all in to get scanned. So they're like, well, we need to buy another device. And this device is, you know, multi-million dollar device. They looked at the utilization data and found, actually, this device is not being used in the afternoons. And they were able to ask the question, well, well why is that? Why is it not being used in the afternoons? Well, we don't have staff to run the device in the afternoons. Oh, okay. So now we can sit there and say, we're going to solve a real problem in a way that's actually effective. So they were able to hire a new staff technician person to run this device in the afternoons. They were able to start clearing up their patient backlog and they saved almost $2 million by not buying a new device and then also having to do the construction project inside of their facility to house this device. And so there's a lot of um, associated benefits that come in with that. You know, another one of our customers replied, re reported to us that they integrated data into their CMMS and they immediately found 70 plus devices that were way overdue for preventative maintenance. Now these devices were actively connecting to the network. So what that means is there was a device that was out there being used in patient care that had skipped its required compliance, you know, preventative maintenance cycle. Uh, those are things that are just really, really, really critical for us to understand. Um, so, you know, these, these ways of understanding how we can do these things uh, really start empowering uh, long-term benefit for the organization because we have the data inside of our single source of truth. You know, an example I would give is that we have these infusion pumps that are actually deployed where they need to be deployed. And we can do this in a dynamic fashion, knowing, hey, how often are these devices being used? Where is the location of these devices? And we know exactly what devices are out there on the hospital network. So we can begin to say, we're noticing a run on demand in the ICU department. And so, great, let's make sure we stock that department with the devices that they need. Um, again, looking into the pandemic, we noticed early on, one of the recommendations is we thought we were going to need a higher level of supply for uh, ventilators, like for the, for the intubation ventilation, which is obviously, I mean, I hope none of us ever end up there or any of our loved ones end up there. But at that point of time, we thought we are going to need so many of these. Now, how do you know where these are in your hospital? By knowing 
what devices are connected, where they are in your health system, you can begin to identify, oh, we actually have another 10 or 15 that are in a storage closet or multiple storage closets around our hospital, and we can begin to reallocate them as they're needed. So that can actually benefit the health system in a real-time capacity perspective, which gives them great situational awareness to understand where my things are, what state those things are in, and what do I need to do to return them back to, to operation. Uh, another idea would be the idea of a device is used in a infectious room, which obviously there's a lot of reasons why a room would be put under you know, negative or positive pressure ventilation and it would be you know, an infection control room. Um, you know, pandemic aside, there's lots of reasons for that to happen inside of a hospital. Um, like I said, if you ever wanna see nurses quickly put on their personal protective equipment, tell them the patient has bed bugs. Those are, you will get a lot of compliance with PPE requirements as quick as you possibly can. And obviously they work very hard to maintain their compliance across a wide variety of infectious diseases. And we're grateful for all the hard work that they do. But if a device has been in a room that's a, uh, a known infectious space, we wanna make sure that device actually gets sent back down to you know, central supply for decontamination. Uh, typically, I remember this as an ER tech, you, you got to get that room turned over. You got to get that next patient in there because you know your, your your ER census is full. So knowing that that device does need to be, what we do, you just take a little, you know, one of the wipes, the cleaning wipes, and wipe it down, and and that doesn't comply with infection control policies or making sure that they're decontaminated properly. So we want to know this device is in a room that needs to be everything needs to be decontaminated. So we know to get that device where it needs to go so that it can go through its needed process and then be returned back to its available stock so that it can be used again in a safe and secure manner. So a lot of data in the right place can truly empower a health system to deliver positive outcomes and improve their operational flow across a wide spectrum of use cases. All right, security is always a concern. We know that um, every single day we hear about this. What is the role that biomeds and clinical engineers can play in improving the security stance of the organization? Yeah, it's a great question because we all know that security does rely on every single person inside of the, the healthcare organization. You know, it's just one email that somebody can click or it's one, one you know, phishing, targeted spear phishing thing that happens to a, a hospital executive that allows access a lot of times. And so for from a biomedical clinical engineering perspective, I think we need to eliminate ourselves from that equation. And we need to look at the available data to us to look at the devices that we have. Now, obviously we got a lot of data about these devices, whether it's in an MDS squared form or whether it's um, just you know, vulnerability announcements or, or you know, CVEs and recalls that's all a lot of that's out there but how do you ingest that information to begin doing the right things um, you know and then how can we participate and partner with our peers on the IT side the network um, the network side or on the security side to make sure that the you know the critical path which is the network that our devices communicate across make sure that is actually functioning and delivering for our devices what we need them to do. 
And so I would say that the role would be to be a willing partner to your peers from networking, from security, and also to keep up to date on things like CVEs or recalls or you know, how do we keep this, how do we get this patch to this device? Now I'll tell you this, like your network and security teams, they're not going to know that your specific, you know, glucometer is not allowed to receive patches from you. It has to receive a patch from its manufacturer. That's just in their MDS2 form. They're not going to know that. So they're just going to think, oh, glucometer, it needs a patch. Great. Just, just patch it. They're not going to know that. So you have to tell them and say, oh, I can't because of this and because of this, and these are the reasons why. So what we need to do, if we can't patch it, we have to segment it. We have to tell the network to treat this device a bit differently and apply a security policy that's actually going to help instead of hinder. Uh, and that can be done with a real great partnership. And so you can look at your devices and you can sit there and say, now, okay, I, I have my whole list of devices. I actually know what's connected to my network because now I have data coming from the network traffic that's informing me of every device that's connected, not just that it's connected, but you know what it is, what's its make, model, operating system, application version, firmware, security status, um, is it enrolled in uh, an MDM if that's available? When was the last time it was scanned by a vulnerability management tool if, if that's available? Does it have you know, endpoint protection if, if that's available? These are levels of information that can be delivered to biomed and clinical engineering so that they can begin prioritizing the work that they need to do uh, to keep those devices safe and secure. Now, if a device has got a known vulnerability and it's a, it's a real uh, high-risk exploit, we should probably go get that device and, or we should replace it with a, with a less critical device or we should do these things. And, and knowing that and then knowing where that device is really do speed up that process so that we can make better decisions. Another thing is that we can start informing and asking our organization to buy and procure or rent or lease or however your organization gets devices we can start informing them and asking them to buy less risky devices and having data around you know, the number of CVEs for a specific model of infusion pump or the number of vulnerabilities that have been put out for that specific, you, know, you name it, radiology device. We can start saying, let's make decisions and better decisions about what we buy so that we can have less risky devices in our environment. And that can become another data point that we use to improve the overall security stance of our organization. All right, our next question is, it makes sense that there is a payoff to converging on a common data foundation, but how would you measure that? Well, it all comes down to what data that you're looking at and so again, the common data foundation is really crucial there. So if you do set up a commonality of data so that you know that everyone in your HDO is looking at the same data, and then they can use that data to do different things because each, each group is going to need different things from that data. So Biomed is gonna require this certain segment of data to help them make better decisions about you know, preventative maintenance cycles or procurement cycles or distribute, you name it, a whole variety of host of information. We've talked about that. You know, security is going to need that same data, but they're going to look at it from a different perspective of, you know, hey, what are we doing to secure the highest risk devices? And what are we, what policies are we implementing to make sure that our, um, you know, FDA class three devices are not leaking PHI? Uh, the network team is going to look at completely different metrics to see about, you know, connectivity and on off the network and all these different pieces. So 
how do you measure the payoff from a common data foundation is going to vary based off of the team that's using the data. So I think that's important to know that each group is going to require different stuff and your own HDO is going to require different ways of looking at the data as well. You know, what one hospital system might view as success, another hospital system might have a different flavor of that to determine success for their organization. And so the key would be establish it up front. Know that hey, we're going to have this data and we're going to we're going to measure things like we want to we want to measure the utilization rate of you know, XYZ device. And then you can look at it and say, all right, now that we have this common data foundation, our CMMS is a dynamic record of truth. We can start measuring, is the rate of utilization increasing on these devices? Is it getting towards the target metric that we wanted to establish? Or maybe you say, you know, what? it's at 45% right now. We want to get that number to 70%. And until we get to 70%, we're going to hold off on buying or renting or leasing new devices. So your metric would be number of devices that are being used within the, the right utilization rate or the target utilization rate and money saved from buying new devices that uh, because we're, we're trying to get the existing devices to be at the higher utilization rate. So that's one metric that you can look at it. You know, other metrics could be uh, availability of devices. You know, this is a little squishier, but asking your frontline nurses, I am such a fan, just as an aside, I am such a huge advocate of, you know, having worked myself for seven years on the front lines in emergency medicine as a patient care tech, go ask your end users. If you're in IT or if you're in security, if you're in biomedicine, clinical engineering, go ask your end users, let them, inform and tell you spend a day shadowing a nurse and a unit to understand how they use devices and, and what their common things and challenges are that's such a valuable practice and i know a lot of um, high-end organizations or really well-respected organizations like cleveland clinic comes to mind they actually give time to their staff that's in it and other organizations to spend shadowing a frontline care provider and i just think that's so valuable so i would encourage everyone you know find find a way to do that if you have to ask for sponsorship from different leadership people do that if you just happen to know somebody on the floor that you've struck up a friendship ask that person if you can shadow them for a little bit because you're going to see the real real you can see all sorts of things in the data but you can see how they really do things and you can begin tailoring it um, to, to help them so that will inform your metrics as well and you can see availability of are my nurses complaining that they don't have specific devices when they need them do our processes actually make sense? You know, a lot of times preventative maintenance is something that actually can interrupt because you, you sit there and say, I've got to get all your devices out of the out of the, the unit so that we can do the preventative maintenance and we'll return them when we're done. And we do our best to try and not impact patient care, but it, it always does. And so figuring out how we can best do that is a really uh, great way of helping your frontline care providers. And so I would say that has to be a, one of the metrics is how are we helping the frontline care providers and is it improving their life overall? So those are just some of my thoughts around why it's important to converge these data platforms and then the different ways that people would wanna use that data and some of the metrics that we should apply to the data usage itself. And so overall though, we want to see a positive impact, um, not just in the financial costs, but the usage of our devices, the ways that those devices are beneficial and available to our frontline. And so that we can, and how secure they are, how are we doing making sure that our networks and, and units are secure from a risk perspective because of these devices on our network.
All right, all of this information has been great, but everything starts with step one. So what are your tips for help systems to get started? Yeah, it's with the, the adage, right? Every journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And I think that you have to start by just recognizing their problem. The awareness that we can do it better is probably one of the first steps that we can take. And then once you're aware of that, then you can obviously start making a plan to address some of these ways. You know, a lot of times, you know, healthcare and, and biomedicine, all everybody, you guys are all so resourceful and resilient and you guys just make work happen and you just get it done. Um, and it just, it's just, it's really an admirable trait but sometimes um, doing the same thing the same way is not is no longer the best and most effective way to do things. But unless you know that there's a better and more productive way, you're not likely to change because you just have to get the work done. Patients need to be cared for. Devices need to be serviced. Uh, the organization needs to run and needs to operate. And we can't we can't hang with that. We just got to keep going. So stopping and recognizing that there is a better way and there are other tools that we can bring to help us that's got to be step number one so once we have that awareness and you know i encourage you ask around ask your peers colleagues friends from other organizations um, go to the md expo conference and start asking around and seeing how other folks are doing this so you can begin to understand this is possible and then once you've understood that Bring together some of the stakeholders from your health system. Get your network teams together. Get your security teams together. Bring biomedicine. Do the stuff you need to do. Get your nursing units. Get the people that actually have a stake in the management and operation of your devices across the entire health system and start asking the right questions. You may not know the right questions at first, but just begin asking questions and you'll discover the right questions. So once you start getting some internal stakeholders to the table to understand that this is a problem that we can solve using better tools and better awareness, then I would encourage you, go ahead and get an assessment. Find a trusted partner, somebody that does actually know the biomedical space, cybersecurity space, the network space, and begin to ask them questions of, would you help us to mature our clinical device practice? And then once you have that assessment and have that data, don't just let it sit in yet another you know, <laughs> assessment. We all, I mean, healthcare file cabinets are full of that one consultant that came in and gave this really great report and now it just sits in the file cabinet and nobody's really doing anything about that. We, we can't allow that to happen. So once you have some more of this data, begin to actually initiate it and implement the work so that you can take advantage of the better methodologies to solve some of the challenges that we've had historically within healthcare. So we can deliver better outcomes and more success and and, and things that actually impact our organization. And I'll just say this, like, if we can improve the operational efficiency of our healthcare systems, we're gonna see such significant, uh, not only like top line costs, because patients will get better care, but we're gonna reduce the per capita cost of delivering care inside of our hospitals so significantly. Uh, if you think about it, if on average your organization, you can do this math, just do this pencil math, if you will, Think about the total number of devices that you have inside of your organization. You can even just limit it if you want to for this exercise. Limit it to just the number of infusion pumps that you have inside of your organization. So take that number of infusion pumps. On average, we estimate at Medicaid, we estimate that each of these devices cost around 3,500 US dollars to, to replace, to, to get new. They're about $3,500. So if you say every single year, we replace or buy an, an additional 
10% of our infusion pump fleet. So if you take the total number of your infusion pumps, 10% of that number, say you have, you know, I'm not going to do the numbers, but you can do these numbers yourself. 10% of your infusion pump fleet, multiply that by $3,500, and that's about how much money you spend each year to buy new infusion pumps um, to, to just keep keep the operation going. Now, when we say that, we can cut that number down because your devices, those infusion pumps are only being used 42% of the time. So if we increase the utilization rate of your existing devices, if we find the thousands of devices potentially that are out there stashed in a closet somewhere and actually get them back in operational instead of having to replace them, we can start taking those millions of dollars that you probably spend every year to replace new devices and return that money back to your health system to do, to do other things. Uh, a CIO of a, of a hospital system that I was talking to one time, he was so laser focused on saving money within his organization. And the way he described it, this was a children's hospital, he described it as every single dollar that we save within our organization is a dollar that we can then return to the business that goes into our uncompensated care fund. And that's a very practical way of applying the savings because now your organization sits there and says i know how many patients come into our hospital and how many patients really need our services but can't afford them for a whole wide variety of reasons we can now begin to physically and literally help our organization care for our community because we've increased the utilization rate of our clinical devices and saved millions of dollars by avoiding having to replace them so that's what i say that get started by having a vision that there's something that you can do better talking to peers around you and others that are in the industry uh, that may have started down this journey, it might be a couple of steps ahead of you, uh, learn what they're doing, get some best practices from them, have an assessment done by some people that you trust, and then start executing the work to make your life better. So those are some of the thoughts that I have about how the health system can get started. Thank you so much, Samuel, for this fantastic presentation. If you enjoyed today's episode, you might enjoy our ongoing webinar series, Webinar Wednesday. You can find a calendar of upcoming live webinars as well as an archive of on-demand webinars at webinarwednesday.live. To obtain your continuing education cert certificate for one credit from the ACI, please remember to click the link located below this podcast title to complete today's survey. If you have any questions, you can reach us at webinar at mdpublishing.com.